Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, August the 15th, 2022. It is currently 3.01 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, if you've been paying attention you know that we are extremely busy here right now at the Theology Central podcast when it comes to our series, Bible Study Exercise. We're really trying to to do a lot of things. We're trying to keep up our weekly Bible study exercises. We're going to keep doing that. And I'm trying to, in the midst of doing that, try to give you the most comprehensive method of Bible study that you could ever have or ever use. So we, we've got the Bible study method that I'm, I'm going to start continuing to unpack. I already did the overview, and then we'll be moving to the background method of Bible study, and we're going to put all of these methods together into one. It will all make sense. But as that is going on, we also have been working on a very important study that I, I'm still fearful. I'm still fearful that people are overlooking are missing the significance of it. And and we've looked at some very important passages of Scripture. We've looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, trying to figure out who is my neighbor, because once we figure out who my neighbor is, well, I'm told that I'm supposed to love them as I love myself. That's very important. But once I figure out who my neighbor is, well, then we looked at 1 Corinthians. So so we have Luke chapter 10. So if we go through these, I just want to make sure I'm going to keep reminding you of the passages over and over and over. Luke 10, 25 to 37. Luke 10, 25 to 37, figuring out who our neighbor is. And we discovered that our neighbor basically is anyone we come in contact with who has a need. And we are we are to demonstrate our love and meeting that need, doing whatever we can to help someone, not because of what we may get, but what we can do for them. So we looked at Luke 10, 25 to 37. Then immediately, once we figured out who our neighbor is and that we're supposed to love them, we've got to def- we've got to figure out what is love. Well, then we went to 1 Corinthians 13 to try to define what love is. And that was very important. We also ended up in 1 Timothy chapter 2, realizing that we have to now pray for our neighbor. We have to pray and we have to demonstrate uh, that love and the fact that we pray for them. And, and when we took that passage apart, I think we discovered some things about prayer that, again, are often overlooked. I think that study was of great value. Then we looked at Romans chapter 12 and we learned that we're supposed to be honoring our neighbor. What does it mean to honor others? We talk about children honoring their parents. You are called to honor other people. You're to honor others as well. We talked about love without dissimulation, abhorring that which is evil, cleaving to that which is good. We, 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 what does it mean to prefer others above your own self? So many things. We talked about so many different Greek words. And we didn't even come close to completing that study. Trust me, we're going to weave Romans chapter 12 back into something at some point because it's so very important. All of those studies are, even though we didn't take everything apart here on the air, you really should be taking those apart. And remember, the curriculum is available. You can go back and read the curriculum for each one of those studies. Please do that. That's there to supplement. Whenever I can't get to everything it's there to supplement. So please, if you're engaged, if you're behind, go back to all of those studies. I love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your questions, your struggles, because whatever you need, I'll turn this microphone on to help you. But this week, and I know it's late because typically 
I like to introduce the study on a Sunday. So I know I'm running behind. I know it's 3 p.m. on a Monday. So I apologize for that. But I can't do anything about it. But I am going to be here to try to introduce a new week of Bible study. And I think this one, I, 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 I'd already had kind of in my mind how I was going to approach this week's study. But right before I went on the air, right before I hit the big, you know, red go live button, I was like, oh, I, we're going to do with this differently. So are you ready? All right, here we go. This week, we're going to learn that love should lead us to forgiveness. If we truly love, we should truly forgive. Now, we can look at it from that perspective. I think I'm going to look at it in a slightly different perspective. I don't know. We're going to add lots of, of things to this. So I hope you're ready. Remember, the first, the introduction to the week of Bible study, a lot of times is heavy with kind of giving you your assignments and things I want you to do. I will be giving you some assignments. So please be ready for that. I had to sneeze. I apologize. I got to the I got to the I got to the mute button just in the nick of time or then I would have needed your forgiveness for sneezing live on the air. See see how I kind of weave that back. See, there's a distraction but I I'm trying to bring the okay, right? Is that not clear? Okay, yeah. Okay. Come on, give me some credit here, right? All right. So, so I forgive you for not giving me the credit. I okay, all right. There we go. I'm just I'm just going to keep bringing it back to that. But this week, we're going to be talking about forgiving your neighbor, forgiving those around you. And the text that has been given to us this week by the curriculum is Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. But I hate, I hate, let me tell you, I hate that they start in verse 21. I hate that they start in verse 21. Why are they starting in verse 21? I, I, oh, I am not a fan of them starting this in 21, and you'll see why. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the text, but I want you to consider, this is, this is, I just want you to go ahead and write this down as your assignment. This week, as you think about this and meditate and read and study I want you to consider how the verses that come before Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, how they are connected to what follows in verse 21 to 35. I think, I think everyone focuses, I think everyone focuses on, well, I can't say everyone. I think there's a tendency maybe to, to disconnect the, the preceding, or especially the, the, the story Jesus tells, or kind of the parable he tells in verse 23. I think in Matthew 18, 23, we almost look at that disconnected with what comes before it. And I don't want us to do that. I want this all to be connected. And, and, and I want you to just think in that direction. So let's just start in Matthew chapter 18. Let's start in verse 15. Let's go to verse 15. I just, I don't think we can disconnect this, all right? So at least this is my initial thought. Now, remember how I do the Bible study exercise. The Bible study exercise is designed to get you from being a passive listener to an active participant. So I do this where I, sometimes I will teach like I know or don't know, or sometimes I'll teach like I don't know. Sometimes I teach like I do know, but I, I because I'm trying to kind of just put it out there to get you thinking and talking about it. So sometimes I'll throw out an idea that maybe, 
I'll come back and kind of go against that idea, but I'm trying to get you actually involved in the study. So here we go. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Now, this is very important. This, I believe, sets up, I believe this is the hermeneutical key that sets up everything that follows from verse, okay, I want you to hear me. I believe verse 15 is the hermeneutical key that we have to have to unlock how we should handle everything following from verse 16 all the way down to verse 35. But I think we almost leave out, I think we almost disconnect verse 15 from 23 to 35. But I think it's the hermeneutical key. So we start off with a very, something we can all relate to. Someone sins against you. Someone does something to you. Someone hurts you. Lie, slander, gossip, betray, let you down, steal, whatever the case. They they come after you. They do something to you. Right? So I want you to put it in that context. So let's let's read this again. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother trespass against you, when 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 someone goes after you, what are you to do? It's gonna it's gonna kind of outline what we are to do. And and the first part of this is very much like a the procedures you are to take, right? The steps you are to take. Okay, someone has hurt you. Someone has sinned against you. What is your individual responsibility? What is your individual responsibility to do at that moment? All right, let's follow. Let's go through the list here, and and you can you can just take some notes. I'm gonna, typically I try not to do so much teaching in the introduction, but I'm going to just do a lot of teaching right here in the introduction because I think this is just so important seeing this context. All right, so let's, let's, we create, we, you can write down in your notes, basically the scenario. The scenario is someone has sinned against you. I want you to think of someone sinning against you in a way that would deeply hurt you, deeply wound you, not just irritate you, but I'm talking like a knife right into the chest. I mean, and they just dig that knife in and they twist it. I mean, it hurts. I want you to think how someone could greatly hurt you. I, I want That's the scene. That's the scenario I want you to see. Now, as soon as that happens, what are you supposed to do, biblically speaking? I'm not talking about what culture would say or anybody else. What are you to do biblically? Well, immediately what you're supposed to do, if your brother shall trespass against the Go and tell him his fault between thee and him. And if he will hear you, you've gained the brother. Now, the concept here is not, now look, sometimes people can hurt us, and I don't think we always have to run and tell them. I think in some cases, we can just forgive them. We can just love them. We can just turn the other cheek. But there are some situations where, yes, you need to go. I think it requires spiritual wisdom. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we want to go to them, not because we want reconciliation, not because we're going to forgive, not because we love. We want to go to them because we want them to know you hurt me. In other words, it's more about us than it is about anything else. Sometimes you got to ask yourself, why do you want to go tell the other person? All right. Why? Can you just forgive and love and turn the other cheek? But sometimes it's required that you've got to go. But here, I think the focus is this. You don't go tell everyone else. See, when someone has sinned against you, 
You don't go run around telling everyone else. Christians love to share everyone else's sin. Someone sins. It it can be a pastor. It can be a deacon. We got to get on social media and tell everyone. Why? It's nobody else's business. How about you? If you care about the person they've sinned, you should, in a sense, now love covers a multitude of sins. I'm not talking illegal activity. I'm not talking criminal activity that has to be turned over to the authorities and then the legal process must take place and then whatever the consequences are there. I'm not talking about covering up crime. I'm talking someone did something sinful. Now, right people may need to know, but not the people who... There are some people who need to know, and there's people who have no business knowing it. It's of no value to them knowing other than their own pure, lustful desire for gossip and scandal. So the thing is, when someone hurts you, why are you telling everyone else? In many cases, you are doing so purely out of spite, out of revenge. You want everyone to think badly about that person. That's That's not godly. It's not biblical. You're doing that out of spite. So here's what you do. You be quiet and you go to that person. And if they hear you, if they apologize, if they repent, then you can have reconciliation. So the scenario, someone sins against you, your responsibility, go tell them. Don't go tell everyone else. Go tell them, right? Next verse. But if he will not hear thee, so now here, so we, you got to have the scene in your mind. Someone has hurt you. You go talk to them, but they're like, no, don't believe. I don't care. I, I'm not repenting. I don't feel bad for it. You deserve what I did. I'm not, I don't care. I'm not apologizing. If they will not hear you, then what do you do? Then you go get two or three witnesses. You try to find people who may have some specific knowledge of it. You try to bring someone who would, you don't try to just bring in the most random people. You try to find someone who would already know something about it because the less people you bring into the situation, it's better for everyone, right? And I think it just shows respect and honor and love for people. But in some cases, you may have to bring two or three witnesses. So now you bring two or three witnesses. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. You try to bring people who, are, who have some knowledge of the situation, go, no, look, we saw what happened. We know what happened. We, we see the evidence of what happened. You are in the wrong. You are in the wrong. Now, a lot of people skip that. They go from, you hurt me. I'm going to put you on full blast and destroy you, right? And then and everyone else jumps in and takes sides and say, blah, 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 blah. And then, okay, just craziness. In some cases, you could just, I don't know, bring two or three witnesses. And in many cases, the situation, in fact, in many cases, if you just went to the person individually, the problem probably was resolved immediately because the person probably said they were sorry and repented and it should be the end of it. But nope. Nope, it becomes about spite and revenge and destruction and destroy and hurt because we don't, as much as you may feel the person who hurt you don't love you, does not love you and did not show you love, in many cases, your reaction to their unloving actions demonstrate a lack of love on your part. But yeah, no one ever talks about that, but that's that's a whole different story. Okay, so you bring it to to uh, to the mouth of two or three witnesses. If they neglect to hear that, if they're like, nope, not going to listen, then at that point, then only at that point you tell it unto the church. Okay, so here's the key. So you start off personally, then you bring witnesses, 
then it goes to the church. And this is what happens. And, and you could, we could, we can apply this as a general rule to just how to handle sin in the church. But primarily, I want you to see this is how you handle when someone has done something to you. Now, you, you can bring it to the church. And then look what happens. Um, and if he will neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So at that point, if if they won't listen, then church discipline takes place. And we see this is the, you've got the scenario and you've got these actions. And then we hear this. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That has nothing to do with demons. That has nothing to do with cancer. Has nothing to do with headaches. This binding and loosening is dealing with church discipline. What is properly, in a sense, binded on earth and proper church discipline will be bound in heaven, almost as if God will recognize that discipline, and whatever is loosed on earth should be loosed in heaven. Again, that if, uh, I apologize, I'm knocking uh, things over. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that, that they shall ask, it shall be done of them of my Father which is in heaven. Everyone rips these verses out of context. The two or three, is not two or three agree, we get everything. This is two or three agreeing in the, in the aspect of church discipline. All right. So, so if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, it's in the mouth of two or three witnesses that is agreed upon. The person is properly church disciplined. Disciplined is bound. Loose, if loosed, is that they have been forgiven. So this is dealing all with church discipline. These verses are ripped out of context, and we got binding and loosening, dealing with sickness and demon possession, and who knows what. We got the two or three agreeing on anything. Basically, if we two or three agree on any prayer, we're going to get it. No, this is dealing with church discipline, all right? And then verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. This gets quoted in small group, you know, hey, what? there's two or three of us, or if there's two or three of people at church, well, there's two or three of us, Christ is in the midst of this. This is two or three gathered in church discipline. This is this is Jesus' way of saying that, hey, if, if, if someone hurts you, okay, you, you've got this procedure, but once it comes to the church, here's what happens. And if two or three are gathered for the purpose of discipline, Christ is in the midst of that. Christ will be there. Heaven will recognize the binding. Heaven will recognize the loosening. I don't know why these verses are so ripped out of context, but you hear it preached all the time, and you're like, what are you? Read the context! But nobody ever really cares about the context. Now, so we have this, we have in a sense, the scenario, the setting. We have, in a sense, the procedure, right? Here are the, here are the steps you are to take. Simple, straightforward. However, yet these verses get ripped out of context. I don't know why or how come. Well, that's because the flaw, the fault of the pulpit, but okay. Now you've got that. Now it'd be easy. We've got the scenario and it says we have the procedure. We, I could break it down one more. I could, I could offer another point in the outline, but I won't do that. But now we have the question. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, Peter is sitting here thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's almost, now, 
Okay, I got to do a little bit of speculating here. So I'm not trying to add to anything, but but we have to at least speculate. It's almost as if, I'll say it's almost as if Peter is sitting there going, wait, wait. He, he's not even worried about the whole church discipline part. He's like, wait a minute. So if someone sins against me and they come to me and, and I tell them and they apologize and they ask for forgiveness, I'm just supposed to forgive them? Well, how many times? Like, like, hey, if, if they've, if they, if they've sinned against me and I go to them three times and they sin against me the fourth time, can then I just forget, can I just go ahead and bring the witnesses, bring them to the church and have them thrown out? I mean, how many times do I just say, I forgive you? How many times? I mean, there's gotta be a limit, right? So Peter trying to act like, you know, gracious. I mean, do I forgive him? Like maybe till seven times? Like, it's almost like he's like, okay, I'll pick it. I'll pick seven. I mean, that's, that's a good seven. I mean, come on. You can't expect me to forgive someone more than seven times. Can you? Yeah, you can't. You, I mean, if, if they, if they've done it seven times, I mean, I'm just bringing the witnesses going to the church and they're going to be thrown out. I mean, this person doesn't deserve forgiveness because they keep sinning. You know what we, come on, you know what we would say in the modern evangelical world. Clearly they don't mean it. Clearly, they don't mean it, because if you truly repent, you're going to stop what you're doing. Well, you can repent of sin every single day. You're going to keep sitting. So I, it's not that simple. But we would say, they don't mean it. This text doesn't seem to indicate whether, it's not about determining whether they mean it or not mean it. If they, if they say, I'm sorry, they accept responsibility and they ask forgiveness, we're supposed to forgive. And then we, we don't go to the two witnesses, we don't go tell everyone, and we don't bring it to the church. But at any point in the process, whether it's individually, whether it's with the witnesses, or whether it's in the church, if the person says, I'm sorry, I repent, I forgive, or, or I repent, I ask your forgiveness, they apologize, well, our job is to forgive. And so Peter's like, mm, seven times, and then he gets he gets just shot. He gets basically shot like, he, he probably can't even believe, it probably feels like he got shot like 15 times. All right, here we go. Jesus saith unto him, I say unto thee, until seven times, okay, I say not unto thee, I got to read this correctly, I say not unto thee until seven times, until 70 times seven. What? Jesus is basically saying, you keep forgiving. You keep forgiving. I don't care if it's at the individual level. I don't care if it's at the two, two to three witnesses level. I don't care if it's at the church level. Whenever the repentance, whenever the apology, whenever the, 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 the acknowledgement of wrong and guilt occurs, our responsibility is to forgive. Now, we do a lot of, I forgive, but... Now, boom, 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 boom. No, no. Forgiveness. Forgive. We're going to have to spend some time this week truly trying to figure out what is forgiveness. Not according to the psychologist, the uh, psychiatrist, not to the counselor, to the Bible. What is forgiveness? Because you hear lots of Christians say, well, I know the Bible says forgive, but that doesn't mean, that, and then we start saying all the things it doesn't mean. And I'm always like, where did you get this information that it doesn't mean that? Well, it can't mean that. According to whom? You? Because I know this. I repent, right? 
I, 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 when I came to Jesus Christ and I, in a sense, trusted in his salvation, all of my sins were completely forgiven. There's no lingering. He doesn't say, but not in this situation. No, I am completely washed away and completely forgiven. Are we supposed to forgive the same way? But then Jesus tells a story. It's like, okay, 70 times seven. And it's almost like you can just feel like that Peter's like his mouth, you know, his jaw hits the floor. Wait, what? So instead of trying to like explain it, he's like, I'm going to tell you a story. Here's the story. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for so much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Wow. So you owe me 10,000 talents. I'm going to sell you into slavery, take your children, your wife, everything. I'm going to get my payment. The servant therefore fell down, worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Please, please. No, 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 please, please. He's trying to show reverence. He's, he's, please, no, don't, don't take everything. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him. See, please note verse 27, loosed, go back to the loosening and the binding in verse 18, you cannot, listen, you cannot take verse 23 and 35 and remove it from verses 15 to 22. This is all one single unit. All of it relates. I don't know how people overlook this. It just drives me crazy, all right? He's moved with compassion, loosed him and forgave him the debt. So this person truly owes the money. But he's forgiven. He's loosed, right? He, or you'll loose. He's done wrong. But the person fell down and showed reverence and respect and a, and, and a brokenness and an apology. And please be patient. So he, he leaves. He's got to be relieved. He wipes the tears out of his eyes. He's fearful. He's his heart's calming down. And then he leaves. And he goes and finds one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. He grabs him by the throat. Come here, come here. You're going to pay me. Whoa. What just happened to the guy that we saw basically kneeling down broken and, and saying, come on, give me another chance. He goes on to say in verse 29, and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Basically saying the exact same words that this servant had said to the, well, the one he was in trouble with. So the exact same words are said to him and he would not, but he went and cast him into prison till he showed, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. 
Then the Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due to him. Wow. Let me just give you the principle for this week. You can never truly forgive others until you come face-to-face with the reality of what you have been forgiven of. You can never truly forgive others until you come face-to-face with the reality of what you have been forgiven of. Unless you are painfully aware of your sin, your failure, and how much God has forgiven you. Until that becomes the dominant reality in your mind, you will never forgive others anywhere close to the way you can. You cannot forgive others correctly until you become painfully aware of what you have been forgiven of. You'll see other, you'll see some preacher who sinned or some preacher who, and you'll be like, there, there, they shouldn't be doing this. And they, and I'm going to condemn, condemn, because you forget what you've been forgiven of. We have some weird way of thinking that we've only been forgiven for a few things, that we, what we've done has not been that bad, but that person, how dare they commit that sin? Because that's a bad one. And you'll say, I, they're forgiven, but, and then we give, and it's just weird. We come up with our own list of, of what should take place. Like the Bible doesn't say, if you, for, if you sin in, in this way, you can never be forgiven and never be restored. It just says, hey, if you're doing these things, you may be disqualified from this, but it doesn't say anything that you can't be requalified by forgiveness, repentance, and restoration. No, no, we just have this mindset that, no, no, I'm sorry, you did this. Here are the consequences. And we just make up the consequences. We make up our own list because we don't forgive others because we're not really aware of what we've been forgiven of. Listen to me. When anyone sins against you, stranger, church member, pastor, spouse, child, I don't care who they are. When they sin against you, the very first thing you should see is not their sin against you, but your sin against an eternal and holy God. And the minute you see your sin, forgiving others not only becomes the natural thing to do, becomes much easier to do. But it will be an impossibility to forgive them if you see their sin, if you feel their sin, if you become preoccupied with what they've done to you. Don't worry about what they've done to you. Worry about what you have done to the eternal God and his law. 
Don't worry about how they hurt you. Worry about how you have sinned and rebelled against a holy, righteous God who loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son who, while you were yet a sinner, died for you. So, so many times people are like, I can't forgive, I can't forgive, I can't forgive. Stop forgive. Stop worrying about the people you can't forgive. Stop worrying. Stop even, stop even looking at that. Spend some time looking at what you have been forgiven of. You've been forgiven of a million dollars that you owe. A billion dollars. You've been forgiven you uh, for something that you owe that you can never repay. Like if God was as patient as patience could be, you could never repay it. You have violated the holy law of God and you deserve destruction, death, and to be crushed. But for some reason, the minute someone sins against us, we forget that. We're like, you, you sinned, you did. And I'm going to now be all worried about their sin and I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to try to destroy them and I'm going to never, I'm going to hold it against them for 27 years. I don't care if it's 10 years ago, 50, I'm going to remind you every single day. You, you, the problem at that point becomes you stop worrying about what people have done to you and worry about you. You're wrong against a holy God that will totally transform everything. Sometimes in counseling, you have to start. No, 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 no. No, we're not going to talk first about what someone has done to you. Let's talk about what you have done to God. Now, forgiveness of others doesn't mean you say, well, what they did was good, what they did was right. No, no, no. You're not, you're not saying that what they did was good or right. What you're saying is what you did was wrong. What you did was horrible, but I am forgiving you not on the basis of anything in you, not on the basis of anything in me, but I am forgiving you because I have been forgiven of much. It's not, now trust me, it's not always easy to do. I've told the story many times. Many of you know my childhood was not, I'm not even going to go through. I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible. And at some point after my mother died, as when I was young, I had to, I had to, because well, my whole life fell apart, but I ended up having to write a letter and going to the grave and reading it to my mother to try to forgive her. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As I stood in front of that grave with that letter and with trembling hands, all I could remember was all the wrong she had done to me. It was very difficult for me at that moment to remember all the wrong that I had, was, and was going to continue to commit against a holy God. If God has forgiven me, I should be able to forgive others because no matter what, what anyone has done to me can't compare to what I've done to a holy God because I've sinned against my creator. My crime against God is an eternal crime where the crimes committed against me are more of a temporal crime. Now, that doesn't, by no means, someone's going to email me very upset going, you don't know what happened to me and you don't know what happened to me. I am not saying that what happened to you was good or right. I'm saying it can't compare to our sins against an eternal God. 
And the only way to forgive what's happened to me is to see what I've been forgiven of. I have been forgiven of everything. My sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. They've been dropped into the deepest ocean. I I have been, I have now viewed because I stand before God in an imputed righteousness, I stand before God, not in practice, but in, in my position as a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new in my position. Because in reality, I'm not a new creature. I'm still a sinner. I still have a sinful nature and I still sin. But in my position, God has forgiven me. He has, he has restored me, saved me. I, I, I stand perfect before him. Well, if he can do that for me, I have to turn around and not grab other people by the throat and go, you, you, you owe me. What have you done to me? I'm supposed to say, I forgive you. Not on the basis of you, but on the basis of God's forgiveness to me. I think that's where people get confused. I'm not going to forgive you. Forget them. The minute someone sins against you, see your sin before God before you see their sin against you. You cannot truly forgive others until you see the true reality of what you have been forgiven of. And then the next verse. So likewise, shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone uh, one his brother their trespasses. Verse 35 of Matthew 18 is a, prob- a problematic verse, and we will work on that this week. So here is your assignment. You ready? Here is your assignment. First, I want you to meditate and see the connection of Matthew 18, verses 15 to 22, to the story told in verse 23 to 35. I want you to see how it's all connected together. I don't want you, I want you to just see it every time. So every time this week when you're reading, I want, okay, so let's, let's do this. We'll do the assignments this way. I want you to read Matthew 18, 15 to 35 over and over and over and over all week. And I want you to meditate and think about how it's all connected together. I want you to see how it's interlinked. I want you to see how it's connected and not to be broken apart and separated, right? So read it, connect it. Those are two things. Third third thing I want you to do. Oh boy, this is not going to be pleasant. I want you to think of the person that immediately comes to your mind as someone who hurts you the most. Maybe an abuser. I don't know what it is. I want you to immediately think of the person who hurt you the most. I want you to picture it. I want you to remember it. I want you to know it. And then immediately after you got that picture, I want you, and you may feel it and you may have to cry and it may make you angry and you may make you mad. But the minute you feel it, then I want you to immediately stop and I want you to consider all the things you have been forgiven of. I want you to think to the person who hurts you the most that maybe you still hold some bitterness. Maybe it's still there. You don't want to admit it, but it's still there. I want you you to think about it. But as soon as you feel it, as soon as you feel the emotions rising, I want you to immediately go, I'm going to focus on what God has forgiven me of. And it's probably a lot. And if you don't see what you've been forgiven of, then so many of your problems start right there. 
So read Matthew 18, 15 to 35 this week, over and over and over and over and over. Second, see how it's all connected together. Third, think of the person who's abused, hurt you, the, the deepest. I mean, the heart, the deepest hurt ever, right? The one that just immediately comes flooding back in. You don't even have to think about it. It's just, boom, it's right there. Because it, it's still there. No matter how much you may have tried to forgive, it's still there. And then immediately after you feel that, I want you to think about all the ways God has forgiven you. Then, I want you to find how many? See if you can find 10 verses that speak about forgiveness. I want, I want you to see if you can find 10 verses that speak about forgiveness, just 10 verses. And I just want you to write them down and just summarize what they teach you about forgiveness. I want you to see if you can find 10 verses that teach you about forgiveness other than Matthew 18, uh, 15 to 35, right? I want you to, I want you to find 10 verses that speak of forgiveness. You can find any ones you want just ones that speak of forgiveness. And just write down a brief summary of what you learn about forgiveness. And then I want you to find one story in the Bible, just one, that you think is the most powerful or beautiful picture of forgiveness. Ten verses that just give you basic information about forgiveness and one story in the Bible that you are like, boom, that one hits me. It's, that, that shows forgiveness in a way that goes beyond even th- any way I could describe it. I want you to, to learn. I want you to see the verses about forgiveness, and then I want you to see forgiveness in action in some biblical story. That, that's all I want you to do. I know some of you are going to immediately go, well, how do we understand 35? No, 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 no. Stop, stop. I'm stopping your hand. No, don't look at 35 right now. I want you to just, we've got to spend some time trying to grasp forgiveness, right? So read Matthew 18, 15 to 35, over and over and over and over and over this week, okay? Number two, I want you to think and see how it's all connected. Number three, I want you to immediately think of the of the person who has hurt you. The, if you think of the way that you've been hurt, okay, uh, okay, repeat it one more time. All right, I'm going to go through this all again. All right, here we go. Number one this week. Matthew 18, 15 to 35. Just read it over and over and over and over and over and over. Just read it, read it, read it. Listen to it. That's easy to do. Number two, just as you read it, just see how it's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. 15 to 35. None of it can be taken apart. It's, it's, it's got to be viewed as one complete unit. Right? I want you to see that. Then number three, I want you to think of when I, if I was to ask you what, who hurt you the most? What's, what, what's the situation where you were hurt the most? I want you to think of that situation. I want you to think of it. I want you to feel it, right? And not, not, I don't want you to just spend forever. I want you to just get hit with that initial emotion. Boom, all right? And then I want you to stop and immediately start thinking and meditating on all the ways God has forgiven you. right? If you want on paper, you can write down the name of the person and what they did, and then immediately start listing all the things God has forgiven you for. All the ways you've blasphemed his name, you've you've attacked his character, you've broken his law, all the things you've done in your mind, in your heart, in your actions, and what you've done. Just, just, I want you to just, I want you to just see that. I want you to see the, the difference, then I want you to look up 
10 verses about forgiveness, 10 verses about forgiveness, 10, right? Just, and just, just write down and summarize basically what they teach. It's, I'm not asking you to do anything major. Just look up 10 verses and just summarize what they teach you about forgiveness. Then I want you to find one biblical story, one biblical story that illustrates that, that you think is the most powerful, beautiful picture of forgiveness. You don't have to do anything with it. You don't have to write anything. Just find the story and read it. And then, and then just, I want you to just then let all of this stuff about forgiveness just kind of wash over you, process it, and struggle with it. Don't do anything with verse 35. Do not. Because that will become, oh, I'm going to focus on this puzzle. I'm going to become preoccupied and miss all of this very important stuff in regards to forgiveness that you and I have to struggle with. And what's the principle? You can never, never truly forgive anyone of anything until you you come face to face with the reality of what you have been forgiven of. We don't forgive others based on anything in them. It's not even about them. We forgive others because we have been forgiven. The next time someone hurts you, the next time someone does something to you, I want you to immediately think not of their sin against you, but your sin against God. But I'm not saying that what they've done to you is right. Forgiving others, you're not saying, man, what you did to me was right. What you did do to me is okay. No, you're saying what you've done to me is wrong. What you've done to me is not okay. But because I've been forgiven, I am going to forgive you. I'm going to release it. I'm going to release the bitterness. I'm going to release you from that prison. You are forgiven. Just as God has forgiven you. Not on the basis of anything in you. You're not forgiven because of anything you've done. You're forgiven on the basis of grace and mercy. You're forgiven because while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You're being forgiven because Jesus, the eternal spotless son of God, died for your wrong. That concludes our introduction to this week of Bible study. You can contact me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. If any of these studies from the Good Samaritan, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Timothy 2, Romans 12, if any of these If there's anything in them you want to share, let me know because, man, we're going to be done with this and and I'm going to be so bothered if people don't get, I mean, there's so much here. So I feel like I need to, I feel like we need to do this same, these same studies over and over for the next six months until somehow I can break through and make you realize what we've been given in this couple of weeks of study, it's so important and practical and powerful. And uh, I hope, and, and again, even if you've missed everything else, just forget what I've said. Just go read all of the curriculum on all of them. Each, each study would probably take you 15, 20 minutes to read. You can knock them all out shortly. And I'm not saying everything in them I agree 100% with, but they will at least get you thinking about 
these passages of Scripture that I think have been so important. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening. Um, I'm going to take a break for a little while, and we'll be back this evening with the book background method of Bible study. We will definitely get to that tonight. Thanks for listening. God bless.